Welcome to the Global Watch Prayer Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we build community in prayer to empower the church from local expressions to global connections. For more information and resources on the Global Watch, visit theglobalwatch.com. This is the Global Watch International Prayer Room. This is January the 12th, 2023. It's 3 p.m. Jerusalem time. We are hosted today by the European Watch, and Cornelia is going to be leading us from Germany, and she's going to introduce our special guest. And Sue is also going to be speaking. So we just thank you and praise you, Father, this morning, for this opportunity to come together in the name of Yeshua, and we bless Germany and everyone that's on the call in Yeshua's name. Amen. Thank you, Shirley, for the introduction. We welcome you from the European Watch, and it's a special honor to be a part here of the Global Watch, and Dr. Sue Rao will give us a presentation as well as Dr. Jason Hubbard, and we have the privilege that coming from the European Watch, Deborah from the British Isle, living in Germany, is going to usher us in the presence of the throne room through worship. Deborah, do you please take on? Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon, good evening, <laughs> wherever you are on the globe. <gasps> you are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here. Touching every heart, I worship you, I worship you, you are the way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are, you are the Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are, 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 that is who you are. When we don't see it you're working even when we don't feel it you're working you never stop you never stop working you never stop you never stop working even when we don't see it you're working even when we don't feel it you're working you never stop you never stop working Healing every heart, we worship you. You are here, cleansing every mind. We worship you, we worship you. You are the way. Made 
maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are, you are the, that is who you are, to see you, to hear you, to meet you, as keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are, Jesus, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness, My Goddess Keeper, Light in the Darkness, That is who you are, going to pass over to Sue now as she introduces Jason. Hey Deborah, thank you so much for giving me the gift tonight <laughs> and to Jesus of course. We are really privileged to have Jason Hubbard with us tonight. He is president of International Prayer Connect. We've interfaced over the years and we welcome you Jason with clap and <laughs> eager hearts to hear what you have to say. I just want to say that we are here in Korea for the Jesus Army 29th conference, and it has been quite an experience. I'll probably write more in the chats when we have time, <laughs> but an intense, uh, Jason, I'm, I admire you for being with us tonight. I've been knocked <laughs> out of the block. <laughs> going on here but i i want to honor everybody on this line because those of you who have been active in this watch you have been aaron and hers for us this week fred can't be here today he is leading our church for this week of prayer and i'm here in korea with this jesus army commitment we just want to thank you all for staying the course and continuing to press forward so I'm going to turn it right on over to you, Jason. Thank you so much for your time and effort tonight. I know the price you're paying tonight. <laughs> it's, it hasn't, it's not easy, but thank you. Yeah, thanks, Sue. So good to be with you. Can you hear me okay? I'm on my phone. I'm hoping yeah, the connection. Okay. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, good to be with you. Just so blessed, Sue, by your leadership, you and Fred and the Global Watch, and just the incredible leadership across the nations in terms of prayer. And so thank you so much for all that you're doing in the global body. We're so grateful for you and your leadership. And good to be part of this family and share a little bit. Sue asked if I could share a little bit on Ecclesia and I wanted to come at this from a little bit different angle. I know you're in a season right now, too, of unveiling the Reformation. So I went through a little bit of that teaching. And I think God is unveiling things, both good and bad. <laughs> and so I think the Holy Spirit's going to show us a fresh perspective and design for how he wants us to operate together as the body of Christ, as the church, the ecclesia. As we all know, Sea has been used primarily as a gathered assembly over the centuries in church history. But I think that's a little bit of a misstep. I think it's really a governing gathered assembly. And so that's why God has given us the keys of the kingdom to be able to exercise authority, delegated authority from Jesus as his people. And it connects so well with Jesus's focus on 
pro proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. We see that so much in the gospels that this is the message of the gospel of the kingdom, of the reign and the rule of God, that he would be acting as king and we get to join with them in that. So that's one aspect of this. I think that's often been neglected and I've been so blessed by Dean Briggs and his book, Ecclesia Rising. I highly recommend that book to you. I don't know if you've had him on yet or not, Sue, but this, he would be a great speaker. I think that's a new and fresh revelation for the church and how we're supposed to gather together, not just gather, but govern together. But I wanna look or, at tonight. Actually, he's a, an advisor for our, our for the global watch. Oh, good, good. Okay. Yeah, perfect, perfect, yeah. So he's probably shared on that already, so I'm not going to go into that aspect tonight, but I want to talk about the other side that I think is neglected in the church today, and that is the idea of us being family. And I think this is so critical when it comes to operating in as an ecclesia, as a governing assembly, as we gather together. It's so important that we come together as family, the family of God. And I see this being so neglected in the church today. I pastored a large church for about 12 years, and there was real good things about that, and there was real negative things about that. And so I learned a lot. It's so hard to do family when you have a church of 3,000 people, <laughs> and you're sitting row by row. And there's just a few people, a handful of people that are sharing and using their gifts from up front. It feels a bit like an organization at times. And one of the things that we really sense, both my wife and I, is the Holy Spirit drawing back to just a place of learning how to live together as family in our nuclear family, but also what does that look like in the church as we gather together? Did some fresh studies on family, and it's interesting that Paul uses sibling terminology 118 times. He uses father terminology 40 times and inheritance terminology 10 times. And so when you look just across the board for Paul, family terminology is primary. In fact, I think it's the most used metaphor describing the identity of the church. We know that the father has always been longing for family, sons and daughters, and a home to dwell with them. And that's us as his people, as his beloved sons and daughters. I don't think Jesus died for an organization. <laughs> he died for a family. I want to read uh, 2 Corinthians, if I could here. Um, 6, 16 through 18. Pull this up here. Okay. So, yeah. For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So the father is longing, I believe, to have family sons and daughters and a home that's that idea of dwelling and this will be what we'll do forever and we get to experience that now in part here on the earth i think the father also of course desires to give his worthy son a bride the church right the ecclesia she's an eternal companion a voluntary lover who's going to reign and rule with jesus at his side forever she's going to grow in love for jesus with the same love 
that the father has for Jesus. And so that's one of the things I've been crying out for. Father, give me the love that you have for your son. Let me experience that, encounter that, and be able to love Jesus the way you love Jesus. We know that if we're going to do family together, there's a couple important things. I think number one is that the distinguishing value or mark of family in God's family is love for one another. Romans 12.10, in brotherly love, showing family affection to one another. I love that translation. In brotherly love, showing family affection to one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. A biblical love is told love. And I think it's supposed to be the primary value and mark of the family of God. In fact, I think that this is the primary commandment of the new covenant, that we would love one another the way that Jesus loves us. If I was going to love in biblical terms in the body of Christ, it would be an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. <laughs> think about marriage right now, right? <laughs> It's an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person, a commitment that one gives himself to in order to bring the relationship to God's intended purpose. So we need to be asking for the love that the Father has for his Son to be poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit so that we can love one another with the love that's a triune love in the Godhead. Amen? That's not something that we can just stir up, that we can do in the flesh. And I've found that typically in church settings, when we gather together, it's very difficult to do love in a biblical sense, in a covenantal sense, in big gatherings. <laughs> now, there's a purpose for those, and I love those, but I really think that the Lord is calling the church back to smaller gatherings, that we become good at being small, where we can actually exercise our love for one another in a real practical way. Offering hospitality, being able to show family affection, outdoing one another with honor, being able to lay our lives down for one another, being able to listen to each other and hear each other's stories and come alongside one another, even when it's messy at times, <laughs> because we all know that family is not always easy. But I think that's one of the marks that God's calling us to in these last days is to learn how to do church. The second thing that I think is critical when we think about family is that we need to come together in an expression of John 17, oneness, that Jesus prayed for. Right? He prayed, Father, I'm asking that they would be one as you and I are one. So it's a oneness that's a Trinitarian oneness where we're coming into the very dance and into the very relationship of the triune God, sharing in his love, the father's love for his son and the son's love for the father, the Holy Spirit sharing that love with us. That's the kind of oneness that we're looking for. It's a mature unity that God wants to bring us into. And um, when you think about Pentecost and the outpouring of the spirit, right? this of course began with 10 days of prayer in the upper room, day and night prayer, and they're waiting on the Lord, they're praising God, and they're praying. And one of the great praises there is that they were doing this in one accord. 
And when you think about that, it's a word of not, we think about one accord being where we all agree with one another in terms of how we think, or that we all have the same ideas, or we're all fighting for the same things. But I, I think it's I think it's more than that. I think it's more about agreement with the word like, I think if you're going to describe it, it would be a word of symphony. It's like a musical term where you've got different sounds. And when those sounds come together as one, it creates a harmony. So we live together in harmony. These were together in harmony with one another. And we also know that when we look at the prophecy from Joel, when Peter's reflecting back on this, when the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, that you had sons and daughters, you had, they were sons and daughters prophesying, you had young men that were seeing visions, and you had old men that were dreaming dreams. So I see a threefold or a tri-generational unity in that. These families <laughs> praying together night and day. That was what was attractive to the Holy Spirit that they were in agreement, they had harmony with one another, like a symphony. There was, they were together with one sound in their praise and in their prayer and love for one another. It's the same word that you see in Matthew 18. And again, when this comes back to Jesus saying he's going to build his church and the gates of his ecclesia and the gates of Hades are not going to overcome it, gives us the keys of the kingdom. And it's singular towards Peter in Matthew 16, but then it's plural in Matthew 18, 18. And when you look at 1818, how are we going to exercise that authority? There's several ways there. Certainly, we're going to do that in terms of church discipline. That's some of the context there. And then he goes into coming together in, in the place of prayer, authority in the place of prayer. Right? It says, when two or three agree on anything in my name. And that's the same word again, agree. It's just people of one accord. They have harmony with one another. And that's the place that, where we have authority in prayer. When we come together with that kind of family unity agreement, oneness. Make sense? And it's all because when two or three are there, right? It's because he is present in our midst. When I think about unity in the place of prayer too, we know that Jesus calls us to be a house of prayer for all nations. And Jesus says he has zeal for his father's house to be a house of prayer. And I love that he describes it as the father's house, meaning it's a house of beloved sons and daughters a father always has a family and the father always has a home to dwell this sorry my mind is a little bit scattered tonight i'm so tired <laughs> so i hope this is coming across okay <laughs> uh, praise the lord now, the word house there is the word oikos and it's usually used for household or family so we're called to be a family of prayers on behalf of all nations. And we do that as the ecclesia with authority when we are ag agreeing, right? We're like a symphony. We have a sound coming forth that is in harmony. It's really, it's in tune with who God is, what God wants to do, right? And it's worship saturated prayer in the place where we're really in sync and in tune and with the Father's heart and with one another, and it's in that place that we have authority to exercise that dominion, that delegated authority that we have. I love 1 Corinthians 1.10. I remember this one correctly. Now I appeal to you, Paul says, that all of you be in agreement. There it is again. And that there be no divisions among you. Yeah, amen. Yeah. 
but that you be in the same mind and the same purpose. Hallelujah. One of the things I see today is that there is often offense in God's ecclesia in the church today. There's places of faction, there's places of division, there's places of discord. I often see this coming across and how we talk about one another. And in, in some sense, it's, it comes across in a prideful way where we point the finger and say, I'm right and you're wrong. And we take a superior position over others. And Jesus describes that really as judgment. And of course, we know that those who judge are going to be judged. The same measure that you judge others is going to be measured against you. And I had a real encounter with the Lord where God confronted me with this when I was in Herrnhut, Germany in 2006, at a time of visitation when I was up in the tower. And it was a, a bit of a season of burnout at that time in my life, just pastoring a bigger church and wasn't really in a place of enjoying God or people. <laughs> and I'm up in the tower and I was just waiting on the Lord and all of a sudden, the presence of God comes into that tower in a manifest way. It was, he came as the all-consuming one, like consuming fire, like the Holy One of Israel. And he says a word to me that is just, it struck my heart so powerfully. And he said, Jason, why are you persecuting me? I didn't really understand what it meant, but it just pierced me to the core and I had this vision in that moment of just all these times when the Lord revealed to me times that I had, I had wrongly judged another person in the body of Christ. I had this sense of pride that I was better than them, that I was right and, I was, and they were wrong. And it came across and a pointing of the finger as a judgmental spirit with a wrong attitude. And the Lord convicted me that he, the reason that I was persecuting him is because he lived in his body. He lived in the church. And so everything I did to the church, to his body, I was doing it to him. And he reminded me that I was not someone who deserved his grace. And the other people in his church, his ecclesia, weren't deserving of his grace either, right? And really, we needed to learn how to treat one another the way that Jesus treats us how we talk about others, how we act towards others. And one of the ways really that we love God, we know this in John 15, is that we love one another. Right? This is the great commandment. In fact, it's the commandment that he owned as his commandment. It was a new covenant commandment. As he poured his love into our hearts and we would love one another the way that he's loved us. And in that, we're loving him and the first commandment is made first place. Does that make sense? Um, so I came to a place of repentance and the Lord just washed over me. And I think this is something that's so needed today in the, in, in the ecclesia, is that we would learn how to treat each other in the grace of God. We would talk about each other the way Jesus talks about us. <laughs> yeah. And the Lord would bring us to places where we would repent of our offense and our unforgiveness, or sometimes we have bitterness. And we do this in real subtle ways, I think. There's times when we look at another church and it might not be the 
way we think the church should operate <laughs> in a biblical sense. We might see some compromise or we might see some open doors to the enemy or maybe some false teaching. But at the same time, these are our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And it has to start first, not with us being right and trying to convince them that we're right and they're wrong. It needs to start with us loving them. And as we love them and build friendship and family with them, then we can challenge them with truth. And it doesn't mean we compromise truth, amen? But we need to learn to love one another in our differences. It's okay to be free to disagree <laughs> in the non-essential. When we think about eschatology and times, we think about someone's position on Israel. We think about, I'm a big Israel guy, right? Most of us, I think, are on this call. <laughs> There's others that have full-blown replacement theology. And in our minds, we go, oh, that's just painful. <laughs> And at the same time, we still have to, I'm a charismatic, so I love the Holy Spirit and all the gifts of the Spirit, a fivefold ministry. But I also have to relate and I have to build family and learn how to love my, my other brothers and sisters in the family that don't believe in the fullness of the gifts.